Good afternoon. Welcome to Peoria City Council uh, study session for Tuesday, July 3rd. This is an opportunity for us to interact with the staff and have presentations made and to ask questions and get responses. Uh, first, would, would the clerk please note the roll? Yes, sir. This is the time to uh, final call to submit speaker request forms. If you have questions uh, or you may want to make a comment, please fill it out, give it to the clerk. We'll call upon you at the appropriate time. First item up is the update on citywide sustainability efforts. Thank you, Mayor Barrett. And as the council is well aware, uh, sustainability and environmental stewardship are uh, a very high priority for the city of Peoria. I guess you could say it's in our DNA. Uh, it's about uh, in everything that we do, really, throughout our operations and uh, in a whole host of different ways in interacting with our citizens as well. And so tonight what we have is a fairly uh, extensive presentation by a number of the staff leaders and also an invited guest uh, who will be speaking with the council. So with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Susan and she can introduce the, the subject. Thank you, Carl. Um, and good evening, uh, Mayor Barrett and members of the Peoria City Council. We are delighted and proud uh, to be here tonight because tonight shows you the accomplishments after three years of a lot of significant work with a lot of people here in the city helping. And this work was set in place by a council goal in 2009 to bring sustainability more and more into the community and into our operations. So we're at a really good point to give you uh, a report and to begin to transition into the future, what we're going to do uh, in the future. So this update tonight will give, us, give you a performance update, but it'll also talk about some things that we as council, uh, staff to council would like to continue to do, and hopefully council will support our endeavors. Okay, I'm always off and running, as you know very well. So um, as uh, they're getting ready to put the PowerPoint up, and before I turn it over to Chris Hawkes, who will lead you through the update, um, I wanted to tell you that today's presentation is really about being um, accomplishing savings of monies, savings of the environment, and uh, being good stewards of the environment so that we have the Peoria for the future that our children and our grandchildren want to have. And that it's, there's a lot of good things um, left and created for them. In the last portion of our presentation after Chris Hawkes, Planning Director, Bill Mattingly, our uh, Public Works and Utilities Director, and Mindy Russell, who's been our uh, Project Grants Manager, for the energy and efficiency grant. After they give you an update, then we're gonna to go to the second portion of the presentation who will be our guest speaker, Dr. George Basile. Welcome, George. It's great to have you here in Peoria. He's helped us with this plan. And he's been a, a leader and mentor for all of us, uh, both of us at the table here, but the people that you'll see behind us, the green team. Every one of these folks, plus many of their team members, have been instrumental in making this happen. So as we go through the accomplishment, I want to recognize every one of them, and particularly uh, recognize our category leaders, Bill Mattingly, Bo Larson, Andy Granger, and Chris Hawkes, because the plan is so big that we have four different categories, and they uh, each manage teams within that. And then we have the 
uh, the green team, which has been working in Peoria for a long time to get these savings, I affectionately call them the green beans, uh, <laughs> and they've done a great job. And then a special acknowledgement to Lisa Estrada, who's been really great with intergovernmental affairs and helping us along and working with ASU, to Sean Cruzweiser, who's been shepherding the plan through, uh, uh, without Seth Blumen being, being here, he has taken a nice job with uh, SRP as their sustainability manager. So uh, Seth is no longer with us, but he learned a lot in Peoria and is going out on to do other great things. Mindy Russell, who has tremendous accomplishment with the public engagement. Tammy Shreve, who applied for and received the grant. Shereen Zaya, who's been our communications manager and who's been helping us with Mike Iverson, produces great graphics right here in our own city. And uh, to all of you, thank you. And thank you, Carl and City Council, for your support on all of this. With that, I'll turn it over to uh, Chris. And he's going to go through a more visually appealing plan than our former matrix. We used to track everything on a matrix. We gave that up. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Uh, good afternoon, Mayor and Council. I'll pop in towards the end of the presentation and talk specifically more about the Sustainable Action Plan, but I think what we want to do now, just briefly, is just reflect on the alignment of sustainability principles and your Council goals. Of course, what you see on the screen are the Council goals. I think oftentimes when we talk about sustainability, it's often seen through our, it's also seen through our own personal prism, that is uh, by energy savings or conservation. But just to note that, it's, that sustainability really has a larger footprint. And for example, um, by providing access to uh, good base jobs and services in your own community, as Scott White's Economic Development Group is doing, that reduces out commuting. By uh, protecting the natural environment and um, um, uh, providing uh, recreational opportunities, that promotes public health and that also promotes uh, quality of life, which is also relates to economic development. By projecting leadership, we also promote awareness. So all these sustainability principles, they're all interrelated variables and they all directly relate to your council goals. Real quickly, this is the mission statement that our green team initially established for sustainability. Now, I'm not gonna read the statement to you, but just to note a few things. Um, it, it notes a, a recognition of a balance between economic health and the environment. It's not one or the other, it's, it, you can do both. It also uh, notes the importance of leaving a lasting legacy for our future generations through the practices that we employ today uh, through sustainable practices. So with that, I am gonna turn it over to Mindy and she's gonna talk about the energy efficiency block grant and some of the projects. Mindy. Council, thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Council members. I'm really thrilled to be here presenting to you today. I'm Mindy Russell. I'm the management assistant in our budget department, and I also serve as the coordinator for the community education and outreach portion of the Energy Efficiency and Conservation Block Grant. It's quite a mouthful, and it's quite an undertaking. We received this grant in 2009. As you can see on your screen, we received $1.3 million, which was divided over 10 different projects. These, the 10 projects are listed in front of you right now. Nine of them have been completed already, and the last project is the Community Education and Outreach, which is still continuing, and will continue through December 31st, which is when the grant ends. Um, I'm going to help you, uh, or I'm going to share with you some of the ed education and outreach activities that we've done this so far with this grant funding. I'd like to introduce you right now to the Peoria Power Pals. We have uh, Energy Efficiency Man, 
Water Woman, Sunny and Windy. Their motto is, you have the power to change the earth. These characters were developed just for us, for our grant program. We actually own the copyright to these characters. Um, they're featured in our Peoria Power Pals activity books, which you have a copy of. And uh, these books are distributed to the children who see the magic shows and the puppet shows, which were also developed for this program as well. The, um, the shows are geared toward the children because they're the ones who really soak up the knowledge and take that knowledge home to their parents. These programs are all free and they um, educate the children on different ways to save energy. As we all know, children are our future sustainability leaders for tomorrow, so it's very important that we get them educated today. Here are some photographs of the actual shows that were taken. We have the, the puppeteers, the, uh, and the, little sh the photo at the bottom is the show that we did in our Peoria library. Um, to the upper right is a magic show that we did in one of our um, elementary schools. They're very interactive shows. The children really, really love them. We've reached approximately 11,400 children and adults with our message so far with these shows. And the shows will continue, as I said, through December 31st when the grant funding is, is uh, concluded. In addition, we also recorded the puppet show in our Channel 11 studio. And it's being broadcast on Channel 11 approximately three to four times per week. It's available for you for viewing on our government website as well as a YouTube site. So it's out there, and we've gotten numerous hits, quite a few hits, which is great. And, um, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. I've actually had the pleasure of attending some of these shows in person, and I love watching the interaction. The kids really get involved in it, and they soak up that knowledge, and I know it's going back home to mom and dad, too. And the activity books are geared for them to take home and have mom and dad complete an energy audit in their home. So it's, it's good education for everybody. Another segment of our outreach program are the coupons and the ads that we have in the Peoria Times and in our Focus magazine, which is now called the Get Active brochure. And at the bottom of the slide is an example of one of our first coupons. This coupon encouraged our residents to take the coupon into our library and receive a free CFL light bulb. And we've had 225 residents take advantage of this offer so far. And uh, we're, we're very thrilled because that gets them, for one thing, into our libraries. And it also gets them interested in saving energy. At uh, the top of the slide is a brand new ad that our graphic designer, Mike Iverson, created for us. You're actually getting a sneak preview because no, this ad isn't out yet. It's coming out in this Friday's Peoria Times. And uh, Mike's done a great job in creating really bright energy or uh, attention-grabbing ads for us, and I know that our, our residents are just really going to be excited about them. So this ad will be in this Friday's edition of the Peoria Times. We also have a presence at many city events, and we distribute activity books, posters, energy-efficient light bulbs, and other energy-saving devices, as well as other uh, literature um, that, for adults on energy conservation. In addition, we love to use these opportunities to speak with our citizens face-to-face, -face, and we can really reinforce the importance of incorporating energy efficiency into our daily lives with these face-to-face -face conversations. Speaking of special events, we have a new event coming up on October 6th. I hope you all can attend. It's called Get Your Green On, and it will be held at the Peoria Center for the Performing Arts. The event is geared toward families, and it's completely free. 
It starts with a picnic lunch for everyone, and then the kids will be entertained at a kids' camp while the adults attend educational workshops on various ways to save energy and money. The kids' activities will include the puppet shows, magic shows, and arts and crafts. We're working with Theater Works and our Special Events Division in planning this event. It's our hope that once the funding is complete with this energy efficiency grant, that we'll be able to continue these educational programs because we feel it's extremely important to keep this message out to our residents. And, and it's on the importance of saving energy and all of our other sustainability initiatives as well. As the Peoria Power Pals say, you have the power to change the earth, and we all do. And now, Bill Mattingly is going to tell us, on, tell us about some of the ways we have definitely saved power here in the city. Just a moment. Mr. Yeah, these uh, power pals are neat. Uh, do, have we copyrighted this? Yes, sir. Is there a way to kind of sell this to other communities and they would use it? And the more they use it, the better they become known and the more powerful they are, right? Uh, Vice Mayor Ames, I'm sure that that possibly is an opportunity. We have not been approached by any other, any other communities. However, since we hold the copyright, we certainly have that opportunity. Yeah, well, we can outreach a little, right? And Absolutely. Email is free, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and as you know, we're just finishing these uh, uh, grant objectives. So this is a grant objective. So once we close out the grant, then our obligation is is done, we own the copyright, okay. and we can pursue that. Actually, I think it's, it's just really great work. Um, and with our new graphic designer who did the comic, I mean, he just started mm -hmm. about a month ago, and he's just doing great work. There's ways that we can use our creativity to generate more of uh, that information and those fun yeah, kind of comic strips. We could even wear some of the uniforms up here. You know? We will, yes, I can see it. E.E. -E man, and Water Woman, Sunny, yeah. I want to be Sunny. You want to be Sunny? <laughs> okay, uh, thank you for that presentation. Other questions? So what I want to talk about is some of the things that we've done, and these are really ongoing efforts. The, some of the things that we've done in the past are still reaping uh, rewards for us today. Energy reduction measures that we've uh, already undertaken are still generating ongoing savings. Since 2008, between 2008 and today, APS and SRP have increased the electric rates by 20%. But what's remarkable and, and where this really pays us is that we've been able to reduce our electrical costs by 1.8%, notwithstanding those increases. You can see that, and we've talked about this before, we've reduced the energy demand on this campus by 22%. And this is due to a number of very, uh, various initiatives, including conversion to LED lighting. Some of this was what's funded through the grants. Uh, installation of energy efficient building cooling systems, which we did through the courts project when we redid the central plant that services this campus. Mm -hmm. And new efficient equipment at our water treatment facilities in addition to optimization processes that we've taken uh, at our water and wastewater facilities to save energy there. Council will also recall that we did a pilot scale solar project at our Beardsley Water Reclamation Facility. And I'm pleased to report that we're generating 30% of the power needs for that building. We projected 25%. So we're exceeding what we expected there. And we're saving about $10,000 a year in energy costs at that facility. Certainly one of our sustainability issues. Just a moment, question. Mr. Rivero. 
Uh, Mr. Mattingly, is part of that the 4 tenths uh, schedule in the reduction of, um, of costs? I'm simply reflecting uh, the energy costs, but yes, there were some uh, incremental costs associated with powering buildings five or four days a week versus five days a week. So that does account for some of the energy reduction. Okay. Thank you. I've not been able to put a precise number on that, but it does, does factor into it, yes. Okay, thank you. So since the inception of our curbside recycling oh, program. I'm sorry, I want to interrupt you one more time. Um, the wind turbines up at the lake, up at Lake Pleasant, I know that they're only partially uh, powering the, the fire station up there. 40%? Yeah, I, tell me what the percentage is, and then my question is, uh, will, we, will we be able to get more wind turbines up there, maybe getting some grant funds for that this next year? I don't recall the precise number. I think 40% is pretty close, but with respect to either expanding, say, our solar arrays or our uh, wind projects, those were, in fact, grant-funded, or in the case of the, uh, the solar panels, we had low-interest loans associated with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we'll be looking for those opportunities there. And again, they are pilot scale, and we'll look at you know, what is the return on investment, particularly as we invest uh, uh, our own dollars or uh, if the opportunity presents itself, grant dollars. Those are getting fewer and farther between yeah. since the AAR, uh, ARRA money has gone away. Okay, well, I, I would just like to, to kind of keep that at the forefront that maybe we could look at another wind turbine and maybe increase the savings that we have up there. We'll look for those opportunities. Thanks. Other questions? Since we started our curbside recycling program, we've maintained a 25% diversion rate for recycling. Last year alone, we diverted 16,000 tons uh, to be recycled. We paid, uh, we were received $38 a ton for every one of those 16,000 tons, and we saved about $22 a ton in landfill costs. And as a result of that, council is very aware that we were able to reduce our residential solid waste rates by 13%, which is quite remarkable. Our focus going forward in this next year is going to be to increase our commercial recycling rate, which is substantially less than the uh, residential rate. That's more in the range of 5%. So we've been kind of piloting that program in the past. We're gonna be much more aggressive with that in the future. One of the things we've done in this last year is we've expanded our reclaimed water distribution system. We brought water to this campus and we're watering the new Centennial Plaza with reclaimed water. And this week and over the last couple of weeks, we've been converting the rest of this complex to reclaimed water. So that work's been going on uh, while I've been walking around the campus here. In addition, council will recall we did a groundbreaking on the Pioneer Community Park, but that entire park will be uh, served with reclaimed water for all of the ball fields there in addition to their fishing lake. And this is not a new thing for us. Uh, in Vistancia, our right-of-ways, our parks, our schools, and the golf courses have been using reclaimed water for 10 years in that, in that community. LEED, L-E-E-D, stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And that's a standard we've adopted for all of our buildings. We've set a goal of achieving LEED Silver for all of our new building construction. We set that goal for, we set that goal for the uh, community center, and uh, we uh, expect to get that in the court. We actually exceeded that and got a gold certification. We didn't have that standard when we did the Development and Community Services building. But what we did this last year is we became uh, 
recognized as an energy star by the EPA for our energy conservation and our, our, the way we built that building on this campus. So it's not a new thing for us. LEED is a newer thing for us, but we've been building very energy efficient uh, structures for some time. Another thing I want to talk about and, and kind of wrapping up is the city was also recognized by the U.S. Green Building Council and we received a big green award in 2010. And what they did when they gave us that award, they recognized a number of the efforts that have been going on for some time, including incorporating sustainability in our general plan, purchasing materials and services that are fiscally and environmentally responsible, reducing energy at our city facilities, adopting the LEED standard, embracing alternative energy sources, including solar and wind, our use of alternative fuels in our fleet, and salvaging native plants when we built Lake Pleasant and uh, Happy Valley uh, parkways. So we intend to continue to build on our past successes and move on with a new sustainability action plan. And with that, I'll turn it over to Chris, let him talk about that. Some questions? Sure. Uh, Mr. Mattingly, can you go back to the solid waste um, screen? On the 25% uh, recycling di diversion rate, uh, do you have the data and tell me exactly what the percentage was on the first year and how we've improved on the, on the uh, recycling diversion rate? We've actually been fairly steady. Uh, the first year was a partial year, so that data wasn't complete. But once we got the program up and running, within the first six months, we got to that 25% rate, and we stayed pretty steady at that. We, we want to improve that, but we have been very good at maintaining that rate. Okay. And in regards to improving and the commercial rate, you mentioned that there's a pilot program and you're trying to increase that diversion rate. Uh, what exactly is uh, your staff doing to, to increase the diversion rate? Good, great question. So the, the pilot program we did over the first few years was to deploy large barrels, larger than our residential barrels. There are 300 gallon barrels where your residential barrel is 90 gallons. Mm -hmm. And we put those out primarily in apartment buildings. That's where we started because that's still residential. And we didn't charge a fee for that collection. Uh, and what we've done over the last couple of years is learned how to provide service. We were servicing those with residential side loaders, so we actually provided a couple of routes where we were going twice a week to serve those. Now we're prepared. We, we believe we've learned enough about the market that we can get out there and start to serve the different kinds of commercials, because commercial is a very diverse kind of customer, much different than our residential customer. So what we'll be doing in the next year will be uh, contacting our customers because we're changing our rate structure in, in commercial. Council will recall that we increased our rates in commercial by 3%. We also established a, a fixed rate at $25 per container for recycled materials, and that's regardless whether it's a 30-gallon container or a, a, a four-ton uh, four container. So what we'll do is we'll contact our current customers to try to mitigate the rate increase by deploying recycling barrels and get a good match between the rates that they would pay for recycling versus the rates they were previously paying for trash and, and get a good balance there. So that's part of our strategy there. Really first contacting all of our customers and then growing our customer base beyond that. Thank you. Ms. Carla. Uh, yes, can you tell me, or maybe this is a question for Chris, uh, how, how did you uh, input sustainability into our general plan. What's new there? Councilmember Carlot, um, this was a new element that was uh, required by the state statute, but what we did was we integrated that into our uh, land use element. So 
there's a number of sustainability principles that we've talked about, and we've threaded them throughout the plan, whether it relates to land use or open space or um, conservation. So it's threaded throughout the document, but it's a number of transportation, number of sustainability principles. Do some of those principles have to do with, um, with, with land use, transportation, uh, pedestrian versus uh, ways that people would have to travel long distances? I mean, is, does it go to that length, that detail? It, it does. It's, there's a number of uh, policies, some relating to the, the need to identify and, and, and uh, try to promote uh, centers, core areas, like we're doing with the Old Town and the sports complex, uh, the need to try to identify um, opportunities for different transportation modes for our citizens, the need, uh, it recognizes a lot of the work that economic development's doing, trying to bring base industries in, reduce out commuting. So there's a number of different things, either through land use and other variables that we're trying to do to promote that. Okay, and one last question. Um, do our design standards or anything in our general plan, do, do they have, make requirements for developers or people who are gonna build in our city to do anything that, that is sustainable that wasn't there before? Our design standards, um, I would say, probably more appropriately relate to the way the development is laid out, the site layout, the architecture, and also the types of amenities and open space packages that they, that they are required to provide as part of their site. So the general plan is more of the guiding uh, documentation for it. The design review standards are more project related. So there's nothing then about sustainability? Well, I think sustainability is always threaded throughout it, but it's more, more directly related to the, a project or a plat that we see in the city to help guide the project. The, the question I, that, I'm, that I'm trying to get here is when outside developers come into the city to develop a project, what new things are they going to have to do to make Peoria more sustainable based on our documentation? Well, a lot of the things uh, that we can do, the general plan, as you know, is a, is a big guiding document for rezone activities and general plans. So as we see new rezones, a lot of times we'll try to, we'll try to push them towards a, uh, to our P a PAD, a planned area development or a planned community development. And through that, we can tailor standards to try to promote, you know, we, we tried with the Laura Vita project a couple years ago to promote more of a core concept. That didn't work out, that's okay. But we try to promote more of a sustainable format, um, the way the land uses are laid out, the uh, uh, trails, make sure trails are interrelated with open spaces. So all those types of things so that try to promote more walkable communities. Um, but we do it through our general plan and through our entitlement actions. Okay, thanks. Okay, in your uh, council packet is a copy of the draft uh, uh, sustainable action plan that we developed internally by our green team. Uh, this document not only celebrates and uh, builds on the successes of the last few years, but it's also forward-looking. And it tries to identify how the city, uh, through stretch goals, looking into the future, how can we bring sustainability to the next level? Now, the team identified seven focus areas, and that's what you see on the screen. Uh, one of the key areas is education and outreach. And so it makes sense to us that if you're trying to uh, create awareness and promote your message, uh, it makes sense then to have a, a smart document that's concise, interesting, and so I know Mike Iverson's got a few uh, kudos tonight. I'll give him another one. Uh, he's helped us uh, on the sustainable action plan. We think we've got a really nice looking uh, document here. Uh, his assistance was greatly, uh, was greatly appreciated. And so in the next few slides, what I'll do is provide a sample of some of the big ideas and some of the uh, goals that we've identified in the action plan. Some of the key goals, one of them that was identified, uh, one of the focus areas, as you'll recall, was outreach and education. So one of the ideas that was generated was, what about the possibility of a sustain and gain university? So 
The fact is that at the city, we've got a uh, quite a pool of talented staff within our organization uh, with the expertise and interest uh, to teach others. So potentially, this could be a type of uh, uh, schooling that we offer that, this, that our own staff could teach a number of classes. They could be classes on low water use landscaping, recycling, trying to realize energy savings. There's a number of topics, and there's certainly a number of interested staff members. So this could be done in the vein of a Peoria Leadership Institute. It could be a combination of that, or it could be a separate program, but certainly something there's a lot of interest in within the organization to investigate. Another thing uh, we uh, talked about creating awareness. So uh, one way to create awareness is by having a signature sustainability event. In the document, there is a, a talk about a potential film festival, but certainly the type of event that many talked about, the, going, the get your green on, right? That's a, that's a type of, uh, of signature event that could uh, promote sustainability. Bill mentioned public buildings, our standard of trying to achieve lead silver. Currently in the city, we've got two lead buildings, one Mercedes-Benz, the other one the court building, and then of course we're, we're seeking out uh, lead silver at least for our community center. And then finally, continuing efforts to uh, decrease the use of a disposal project, excusable uh, and non-renewable products. And we do that through uh, outreach, awareness, and also through our, our internal procurement. Other key goals, I've talked earlier about trying to diversify our local economy, a lot of the work that economic development's doing and how the benefits it has on our community. Uh, traditional neighborhood design, that's again, really a fancy planning term, uh, really means it's about providing choice through mixed use areas, walkable communities near services, uh, providing access to parks, um, different modes of transportation and travel. And then the last two, promote alternative fueling options and uh, reducing heat island effect. These could be some ideas that result in some, uh, you know, some code changes moving forward, particularly with the, with the heat island effect. Of course, this is, uh, we could look at incentives that in our code that, uh, that might re recognize green roofs, lighter colors, per, uh, perhaps a shade ordinance. Uh, one thing we are looking at doing in the next year is a new landscape ordinance. So I, I do note that Phoenix, they have a, they have a shade ordinance. Perhaps there's some uh, updates we can do with our landscape ordinance to uh, update or provide more, more opportunities for shade and, and uh, more functional use of our landscaped areas. And then finally, before we introduce Dr. Basile, uh, we want to identify our primary focus moving forward. So we're going to continue to seek out savings and organizational efficiencies. Uh, we, we know it's a smart thing to do, and, and we'll do that through continued monitoring of our progress. But the Sustainability Action Plan is not just a green team product. It's really principles that uh, we believe need to be embedded within the organization and philosophy for all departments going forward. Most importantly, we need to promote our successes and create awareness in the community, not only for our, our current adult citizens, but also for our youth, as they will be tomorrow's leaders. So with that, that concludes the staff update, and I'll kick it over to Susan. Well, thank you very much. Does uh, City Council or Mayor uh, have any additional questions for staff? This is the plan. You have the document. Right. Yeah, I, I think we're doing a great job here, and I think of this as kind of grassroots green. Sometimes people hear green, and they think about global warming, and they grumble about that kind of a thing. But we're really doing stuff that saves taxpayers a lot of money, and it's, it's sustained longer, and it's better, and... Uh, for the environment as well. So, and, and I, I want to, any citizens who are watching that, that's the kind of the way we're, we're, we're addressing this. And uh, it's really an outstanding program. And just think in the area of electricity, the money that, that we've saved because we have this program. So it, it's important that we're doing this. Thank Mr. you. Rivero. 
Turn on your microphone. Sorry. Mr. Hawkins, can you go back to the uh, previous slide? Um, can you briefly explain um, what the reduced heat island effect, the new landscape warnings, what that's about? Sure. Just uh, Councilmember uh, Rivero, the heat island effect um, is really the apparent uh, increase in temperature in urbanized areas versus outlying areas that we see sometimes from, you know, impervious surfaces, from buildings, concrete, those kind of things. So. Uh, we want to look at efforts to try to mitigate that heat island effect. Some things that we can do is, I mentioned, through the landscape ordinance. I mean, right now, we haven't updated a landscape ordinance in several years. It's been, it's been smaller surgical changes, but I think what we need to do is take a comprehensive look at it and see ways that we can increase the, I'll call it the shade factor, for our development sites. Okay. Um, is this something that we're trying to incorporate, that we will try to incorporate in the near future on our City Hall campus um, or any other existing uh, big buildings that the city might, might own? Yeah, the, the, the uh, Councilmember Rivera, the landscape ordinance would affect, uh, would apply to any developed project, any new project that's coming in for development. Certainly if, as our campus changes and, and is updated, we would want the uh, campus to be consistent with our landscape ordinance as well. Okay, thank you. Um, and if I might add, our campus here, our civic campus is a really good demonstration of uh, a good design because there's a lot of surface that is not concrete. You know, there's a lot of pervious surface, as they call it. And also, as, as part of the green team and us looking at this, this new plan, um, we talked to uh, Dr. Basile, who's going to be speaking in the next portion, and he can kind of give you a little bit more, too, as he goes through his presentation about examples. Okay. Before we go to him, there's another yeah. question, Mr. Ames. Yes, and I think uh, Mr. Brazil may talk about this. There are new kinds of pavement that can be used that uh, right. don't uh, absorb as much heat and retain as much heat. And I hope we're starting to look at those. It's maybe a little longer-term thing, and we've got to look at the cost of doing that as well. But uh, that may be part of the future in terms of the, reducing the heat island effect. And using the... the uh surfaces for either solar, getting solar heat, well, or repainting them yes. so they're not absorbing the heat. Um, so some Use of it as energy rather than yeah. <laughs> so us up more than we need to be. <laughs> what are we asking for? We're, uh, we just feel we've been successful. We wanted your input. We wanted to say the grant's ending. You know, there will come a time when we're going to come back and talk about key investments we think the city should make, both in the planning and the, uh, the processes here to continue to m move us forward and continue to save money. So that would be coming in the future. Uh, for now, we hope that you'll talk to your peers. We have a lot of regional recognition on this and your colleagues, you know, about what we're doing here and, and brag us up. <laughs> brag yourselves up. Uh, Mayor, do you have any other questions on this portion? Other questions for the guest speaker? Okay. Well, our guest speaker uh, has been working with staff, as I mentioned. Um, Dr. George Basile is currently a professor at the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University, ASU. He is a senior sustainability scientist in ASU's Global Institute of Sustainability, and he is also an affiliate professor for public policy at ASU and for public affairs. And at ASU, Dr. Basile is the um, executive director of the ASU Decision Theater, uh, 
which is a unique uh, systems approach uh, to research and applications. Very interesting. Um, Dr. Basile is an internationally recognized uh, leader and innovative thinker in the area of strategic planning and in sustainability. He works also on leadership and works on business applications for sustainable enterprises. And he has led pioneering sustainability efforts in four sectors, for-profit business, not-for-profit business, um, in academia, and also in and with communities such as ourselves. There's a real broad background. And I think his extensive knowledge make him a really good speaker for us. And we welcome you back to the city of Peoria, George. Uh, well, is this, am I on? Can you guys all hear me? Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for, uh, for inviting me back. And it's wonderful to be in front of the council. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> I can answer a lot of these questions at a lot of different levels. I've tried to put together a presentation that's sort of... Uh, pushes the envelope here. So Susan said they're going to come back in front of you and ask for more. Well, the future is here now. Okay, that, I'm going to ask for more. That's my job. Um, and then I've also tried to put a bunch of examples up there. We'll go through what we have time. I'm a very flexible speaker. Feel free to ask me any question, any time that you want. Um, I'd also like to set the mood a little bit where sustainability is such a serious thing. So um, Dr. Watson and Holmes uh, came to the U.S around the uh, time of the 4th of July. And uh, they wanted to come out to the Wild West and see what it was like. So they, they came out. And of course, they're out camping. So they set up their tent and go to sleep. And they're struck, shook and awake. Holmes looks over at Watson and says, Watson, what do you see? And Watson, who has been transported by this new country, this pioneering spirit, he looks up at the sky. And of course, he sees fireworks. He says, I. I Holmes, I see, I see the birth of a nation. I, 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 see the, I see the lighthouse of our future. I see the hopes and dreams of, of these pioneers up in the sky. What, what, do you, what do you see, Holmes? Holmes looks at Watson, hasn't quite been as taken with the uh, Wild West thing, and says, uh, Watson, I, I see that our tent has been stolen. <laughs> so the, the moral here for our, uh, I'm just going to bring this around somewhere. It actually has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just thought it was a good joke. Now, it does have something to do with it, very slight. Um, the moral here is that you know, those are both realities, the perception and the dreams and the hopes and where you're at today. And we have to somewhat balance that with what we do. Okay, um, So I'm going to push you guys, but I'm also uh, very cognizant of the realities that we, have to, uh, that we have to move from. I will say this, even before I go on. Uh, I have worked with the staff here. I, you know, I, yeah, it's a windbag introduction, okay? But I have been around the block. I've seen a lot of folks and a lot of, there is good work going on here. Um, the staff here is all about Peoria. You know, kudos to you guys. I have been in a lot of uh, institutions, especially when you're out there in the business world, you're always wondering, right? Are you saying this just because that's what's going to make you money? Because that's what you do, right? Nothing bad about it, but that's what you do. The staff here, um, beyond a shadow of doubt through all the tough times that happened in 2008 and whatnot, uh, always has Peoria on the front burner, always. So, you know, kudos to all of you folks. Uh, so here's what I'm going to talk a little bit about tonight in the, <laughs> I'm going to do it in like, in like 15 minutes. All right, so we'll just, 
all right, well, we'll, we'll take whatever. So what I, the, the, the sort of takeaway I want to get through um, is that sustainability is a vehicle to really bring together the system that you're in in a way to do real development, development that works into the future. Um, in order to do that, you have to, like homes, base the stuff on reality. And some of the reality is tough, some of it's cool. You also have to live into your dreams, okay? And the third thing is, is, is it takes a certain kind of leadership, and I've seen it, and I'm going to talk about it. And it's, and it's got to come from the senior folks, and it's got to come from you guys, period, flat out, the end. Right? That's the number one takeaway. Um, I'm just going to briefly mention, you heard some, there's a lot of stuff going on at ASU, so ASU is walking this talk. I am a professor there in the School of Sustainability. Um, I'm with the Public Policy Department. I'm with the Global Institute of Sustainability. I don't know how much of what's going on there actually, I, I don't even know what the heck's going on there, okay? But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on, and it does represent an asset for you guys to reach to. So here's, let's start with sustainability, right? This is often what you see in sustainability, okay? You know, save the whales, save the pandas, save the desert, stop global hunger, renewable resources, energy efficiency. Yes, yes, we want to do all that, okay? Really important if you happen to be a whale, right? Okay? Um, this is the sustainability that works for people, right? The sustainability that works for people is that, right? Okay, that's a list of the folks from the staff here. This is what, these are what the folks at Peoria's, your staff came up with, are concepts that resonate with them. These are obviously concepts that are going to resonate with you guys. The question, the, the opportunity with sustainability is not how do we do this. Yes, I don't want to be the guy who's on the planet when we wipe out the giraffe. That's my personal one. I like giraffes. <laughs> I would honestly, right? I mean, honestly, do you, what, what, I don't want to be there when they're like, oh. 2014, the last giraffe was killed, right? And then they show a picture of me. This guy failed, right? I, right? But this is what resonates with us. This is us. This is us being the giraffe, okay? The question is, is how do we do that, which we can all get behind, sustainably, okay? And I see a lot of the questions I heard reflect exactly that kind of thinking. And obviously the plan reflects that kind of thinking. So... Something that often comes up with this, and it has especially come up since 2008, is we'll make the business case. We can only do what we can save money. We can only be an offset. If it costs more, we can't do it. Okay, well, I've been in the business world for a long time. That's not true. You have costs, which you've got to meet. And you have investments, which you have to make. Investments should take you to the future you want. Costs are what you have to meet to get across the street today, right? So you gotta do both, okay? The city of Peoria, so let me just quickly run through these real fast. The city of Peoria, you guys have been doing both, but I think you've been doing it the hard way in the sense of, you know, I mean, come on, 2008 was, you know, right? Shock to the system, okay? Um, so you guys have been living in the universe where get the grant, save the money, increase the efficiency, and and you've put together, I'm pointing to the green plan, that's a piece of work. I mean, that, honestly, that's a piece of work, right? Pat yourself on the back, take it home, sleep with it under your pillow, feel good about yourself, have a great 4th of July, all right? No kidding. Um, we can do more, right? And the more part, though, is the investment part. 
and it's, gonna, and it's tough, right? So we'll maybe talk a little bit about it. I don't know if we'll have time, but Interface Carpets has completely redone their company into a sustainable business. It's led them to the ability to make more money. It kept them whole, right? It helped them survive their crisis. I don't think anybody would say Walmart is a business that's all about saving the planet and not making money, okay? Those guys look for a hundredth of a cent savings on the dollar, and they're happy to talk about it, okay? Because that's how they work. In 2007, when the economy was hot, Walmart found out its model doesn't work. There's the company, that's the company up there with the best supply network in the world, state of the art, okay? They found out it doesn't work. There's not enough stuff on the planet for everybody to have an aluminum lawn chair the way they're doing it, okay? You can't do it, it's not scalable. It only reaches about 20% of the planet at best, and it takes about a planet and a half worth of stuff to do that. We don't notice it so much because we're in the 20%. As a matter of fact, we're in the top 1%, okay? We all, we all had you know, about a 1 in 20 chance of being born here. That was the luckiest day of our lives. Right? What they found out, though, was that their competition isn't Walmart Jr., little Walmart, son of Walmart, daughter of Walmart. Their competition was China. China said, hmm, not enough aluminum for you, Walmart. Hmm, not enough aluminum for us. We're going to go buy the bauxite mines. We're going to go buy the mines. He said, come talk to us. Oh, by the way, it's all going to China first. We get 70% of the ship hauls. You can talk about having the ships to you after they come to us. Okay? So Walmart is at ASU and other places doing sustainability not to save money, not to save costs. Yeah, they're doing that because that's what they do. They're doing it because the future is sustainability. They need a lens to do innovation for the future. Uh, Brea, a small town in California. When I was growing up, Brea was not where you were like, oh, I aspire to live in Brea, mm. right? The only, we thought Brea was where the tar pits were, the La Brea tar pits were, which they are. When we found that out, we were, Brea was off the map, right? Brea, over the last 20 years, has used green Brea as a vehicle to completely transform who they are. It's helped them bring in a bunch of businesses, it's helped them change the very perception of their city and be a leader. They've won awards. But most importantly, when you go to Brea, it's like really cool, right? You, you, you're like, oh, Brea, what a nice place, right? Again, really because of good development of which green is a part, all right? And we'll get to that. Uh, cities. So why you guys, okay? Why are you guys the people who have to do this? A few reasons. One, that 90% up there, that's the number of people in the United States who live in cities. Okay? So that's where we all live. This is it. It's changed. There isn't a rural America anymore. The rural America is a few people with giant tracts of land that does the agriculture. We all live in cities. That two-thirds is two numbers. About two-thirds of the people... Uh, prefer smart, developed communities. Communities that have the aspects of land use planning. They like the windmills, right? Um, we're seeing more and more people want to have great transportation, multimodal transportation, mixed use, so they can get a real, a real city center, all these sorts of things. And it turns out, 
that about in the areas where they've been doing them, about two-thirds of the time, those properties, guess what, retain their value better and appreciate better, okay? So again, maybe actually does cost more good investment, right? And that 85%, that's the Walmarts of the world. 85% of the Fortune 500 CEOs say that sustainability is a critical strategic plank for their decision-making for their business. I just had a conversation with the guy who's sort of the second, the, the number two in sustainability at Dell, and I asked him, I said, I'm gonna go talk to the folks in Peoria tonight. He's actually lived out in Glendale for quite some time. Um, I said, do you guys get in, does your department get involved with planning when you guys make big strategic decisions? He was like, absolutely. Sure, we want all the normal stuff. You know, that's the tough part of this. You don't get out of the normal stuff either, right? They want it all, right? But he said, we're looking for places where they have different energy mixes because they're, they're actually a very energy intensive company and they're worried about energy security in the future. They look for places that have the kind of transportation systems that will attract the best employees, right? They look for places that are showing the kind of thinking that resonates with their growing corporate philosophy around being sustainable. So this is becoming an important element where business and community and sustainability come together to make for intelligent, and I call it real development, again, meaning development that can march on to the future and increase in value without dismantling uh, the social and environmental systems that we all enjoy. So here's where we're at. Here's why it's not gonna go away. Um, sustainability is often framed as environmental or social uh-uh. Sustainability is about us making decisions. And here's what's changed in our lives. Right now, on the planet, we have a, a decreasing capacity of the planet to handle what we're doing to it. As we wipe out the fisheries, as we destroy topsoil and whatnot, we got a downward slope. We used to think it was sort of flat and the planet could just take everything. At the same time, we have increasing demand. That means that the decisions we make really matter. And that just happens to be when we were born. Right? And the bigger we get, as we move into these big cities, and as the businesses get bigger, that room to make bad decisions sort of shrinks. And you can see on the side some of the things that pop up that are negatives, but you can also see down on the bottom there, guess what? Like anything else, when you got, when you got a bunch of negatives, you've also got a bunch of positives to address, right? So there's all these new opportunities, and we're really, we really are seeing it in the marketplace. Everything from the big guys to the little guys. I saw, I think, Lisa, you sent me that um, you've got an uh, a, uh, energy storage company coming online. I mean, do you, do you guys, re I mean, of course you do. You've got an energy storage coming on. Then put it a different way. Thank goodness you've realized that, I mean, if energy storage was a reality, renewable energy is just like, boop, it's, it's, like, it's done. All of a sudden, renewable energy becomes this brilliant economic idea. Today, it's just a brilliant idea. So let me ask you that. If you have a brilliant idea, I'm, I'm sorry, renewable energy is a brilliant idea. Guess who figured it out? Like the plants figured it out. The, the photosynthetic organisms figured it out two billion years ago, and they won, right? We all live off of them. You're all tree huggers, okay? They make all the oxygen, all right? So they figured it out. It's the best energy idea there is. It's a brilliant energy idea, but it's a bad economic idea today, right? Requires subsidies. You got all, we've got all this capital invested in the current energy fossil fuel infrastructure. So it's a bad economic idea. So which one's wrong? 
I say the economy's wrong, okay? I say a brilliant idea with bad economics doesn't mean that the brilliant idea is bad. Nonetheless, we still gotta work with the economy. We all get that, okay? So there are opportunities. It's led to a plethora of approaches. You guys saw lead as one of them. Very confusing. I will say you're lucky. You have a staff. Um, uh, Susan brings a lot of experience in this space. It is non-trivial sorting through this stuff, okay? Um, you guys have done a really good job with that. Um, so here's the opportunity that I think sustainability now brings here, which is pulling it all together. Sort of getting out of this bucket, getting out of the cost bucket, getting out of the, let's look at every little thing, and getting into the big picture, okay? Um, the important thing with that is it won't happen by itself. It requires active engagement, all right? Um, I'm not gonna go through, you'll have to bring me back. Some other time I will go through how this perspective can give you one framing for the big things that are going on on the planet that make all the other sustainability issues let you see that they're symptoms of some big things. These big things become design guides for planning. They become design guides for business. They become design guides for understanding where the innovation of the future will be, which means they become design guides for flat, plain old standard economic development. Um, energy storage fits up there under number one that we, get up, we pull a lot of stuff out of the earth and we just vaporize it, okay? We use about a million years of fossil fuel in terms of how long it took to make it, one year. 85% of that fossil fuel, which is nature's Legos, we can turn that into anything, right? I mean, look around the room, right? right? Anything that's plastic is fossil fuel. The carpet is fossil fuel, right? We take 85% of those Legos and we burn them for their heat, okay? Dumb idea, right? Um, in order to get rid of that, we need a new energy system. In order to get rid of that energy system, we need energy storage for electricity. That's why that storage system is a mega idea, right? All right, so we're gonna go through, let's, let's move on in the last in a few minutes here. And let's look at some of the other stuff that's going on around and I think some cities that are resonant. Um, I just said this. This is the big opportunity for you guys that you can sort of match up the livable community over there with your... If, and I guess this is worth looking at. Over here you have the big community goals, which could also be the list of the goals of, the, of your... the council-specific objectives. And over here you have your units. And if you notice, they, they don't go straight across. Right? The units are, because they have to be, uh, you know, no knock on the policy guys uh, or the finance guys, but you really don't want your finance guys designing your next bridge. <laughs> right? But you really, want, you really want the engineers to have enough money to do it. You really don't want them to design you half a bridge. Okay? So everybody has their specialties, right? And what's broken down is the ability to a certain extent to get out of the silos and come across and do real development. Okay? And that takes really active engagement, especially by the leadership. So we're seeing that in a number of cities in a variety of different ways. Um, Salt Lake City, okay? Salt Lake has, uh, they're doing a ton of stuff. That's what's represented by the blue over there. The one thing I want, on each one of these things, I want to point out one thing. 
Salt Lake has said, let's grow together. So their focus is really using sustainability as a community building tool. They've got this cool E2 effort, which includes a revolving loan fund and working with businesses and leaders in the community to get them the resources and work together to do development as a group, right? And you guys have all been around long enough. Salt Lake did not, you know, I'm sorry, Salt Lake City was not the place you went, right? Except to go to Park City, right, and go skiing. Salt Lake is pretty cool these days. They got a lot of business going in there, okay? I mean, they're doing pretty darn well. And they used to be sort of nowhere, right? Uh, Curitiba, Brazil. Here's the city. This, this is an amazing place. Most of the Brazilian cities have been overwhelmed by poverty. They simply said, we won't let that happen. And they looked at the real drivers for poverty, and they made a commitment to changing those. And one of their most interesting things is they had a huge garbage problem. Not a waste problem. Plain old garbage. Trash. They also had another problem. The people who could do the labor couldn't get to where the work was. They invested in a uh, multimodal transport system, and they gave people transportation credits for picking up trash. So now people pick up trash, they get their chits, they get on the trains and the buses, and they go to their work, and they make money, and it's totally worked, right? I mean, yeah, they have, you know, come on, you, get, you look under the hood, and there's all sorts of problems like anyplace else. But they've got great metrics of success. Um, San Antonio. San Antonio said, let's build the 21st century economy. They've got a great analysis on their website of the types of technologies of which you guys have one. They've got like five different technology sectors that they said 21st century economy is going to need, right? One of the things they've worked and are continuing to work on doing is creating a multi-tech venture capital fund to fund a clean tech corridor, right? So they've been thinking about what are the pieces that you need for an economy of business for the 21st century. They also, uh, in partnership with the university down there and some funders, uh, built a pretty rockin' research center aimed at, when they did their analysis, they, of course, you know, it's Texas, they came up with energy, right? They were like, hmm, 21st century, we're in Texas, there's mm, well, energy. Um, so they've got, well, I mean, you know, th this is the reality part too, right? I mean, it's like the easiest sell is the upsell. Everybody down there knows energy, so there you go. Um, you can see over here, they've also got a list of programs that are going on, um, in, including some significant policy programs. Your question about what would new development have to do or whatnot. And this is Texas, and they're putting in some significant policy guidelines down there because they feel that that's what's required, right? Uh, Malmo, Sweden. I love this place um, because they are basically sort of like the Rust Belt of Sweden. I mean, it was Pittsville, industry gone, right? And they just, they just said, well, okay, we're awesome industrialists. That's, we're engineers. Let's use what we do. And they've come through and they've literally sort of rebuilt the city um, using their engineering skills in terms of uh, green spaces and biogas um, and manufacturing technologies. And they now have a very thriving community. Um, and it was really, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's sort of a, a kind of amazing. Um, Sweden does have a big manufacturing sector that they were able to tap back into. Um, but again, they really just said, no, right? We're going to build the future we want.
Uh, Denver. Uh, again, uh, you know, been around. I remember when Denver was the pol air pollution capital of the world and the sprawl capital of the world. They still have those problems. But they're not known for that anymore, right? Denver just won top sustainable city, right? Ranked in the top, you know, right? They've got a cool project going, this water, Watts to Water, which actually doesn't convert water to energy. It's not cold fusion or anything like that. Uh, it's just doing resource efficiency around both water and around energy, right? Um, and what they're using their green form for is to actually develop a leadership platform because Denver had become dismantled, right? It, it ran into the cities around it. It was becoming like, sort of like Phoenix, you know, this megalopolis. And it was like, who's Denver, right? Uh, we were just talking beforehand. They have this cool thing on their website um, around the city as a park because they've got a ton of parks, right? Um, so they're starting to think this way, which then leverages the knowledge within the park system, for example, to really think differently about how do you run a city, okay? Um, so that's enough of that. I've got tons of other examples. I'll leave them in the deck, but let's move to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of get to the last slide here so in the, in the, uh, in the uh, because of time and whatnot. So maybe you can push us to um, like hit 30 or something. <laughs> Try that one, hit 30 and enter. Hit 3-0, enter, see what happens. No, it went the wrong way. Oh, well, whatever, we'll just pop through it. I'll mention that here. We'll quickly run through them really fast. Phoenix is doing some really good stuff around the corridor. You have a good neighbor in Phoenix for these things. Um, ASU has the Sustainable Cities Network, which you guys, you've won awards. You guys, are you guys are leaders of, okay? You help make that thing work. Um, but there, you know, Phoenix is Phoenix. It's got a certain amount of scale, uh, can do certain things, so there's a good partner there. Um, there's an interesting thing going on in a number of cities where they're using the idea of zero waste as a design platform. How do you redo everything? If at the end of the day, it's not a matter of you don't have any trash. It's a matter of how do you turn everything to the service of bringing value to your, your customers, your community, your audience, whoever it is, right? And it really changes the way you think, you know, from... Uh, well, let's get rid of the trash, too. How do I design a product so that, you know, uh, waste equals food, et cetera? And you have a lot of knowledge on this stuff. We were talking, when I was talking with Bill uh, early on about some of these, I mean, you guys, you know, you guys are public works, and I mean, you've been thinking about this stuff for a long time. You were the one who talked about um, uh, the water and how much, how much more intelligent water could sort of be managed if you think about how it really needs to be used. And we use a lot of energy moving and cleaning water. We already talked about interface. Let's get to this. All right, so let me wrap up here. Um, just a couple of things. So we, you know, to recap, sustainability is a real thing that your staff has a lot of knowledge on. Um, it needs to be turned to the values of what, to, to the outputs that resonate with the community and used as a vehicle for that. Um, it takes a kind of leadership. Uh, Jim Collins, and I'll, I can make the articles available to you guys. Jim Collins years ago, has anybody ever read Built to Last and Good to Great? He, he did a great, he did, they did some great research where they looked at companies that lasted a long time, like anybody who lasted over 100 years. 
they found like 15 out of like 15,000 that they looked at. Because that's not how business works. It's not negative. It's just that's really not how business works. When they looked at what it took for businesses to last a long time, there were a whole bunch of features of the business. At the leadership level, it took what he called level five leadership. This is leadership that builds for enduring greatness through a combination of humility plus professional will, so humility, will to action, and a focus on stewardship. That is rare in the business community. It's rare for a few good reasons. Levels one through four actually work. You can, you can run an effective business at levels one through four. Uh, level four, you're a rock star. But you, when you leave, it usually, you know, Steve Jobs. The first time he left Apple, right? Tank, okay? Um, communities often have, can have, you guys have the incentives for level five, right? Nobody says, well, you know, geez, I'm getting kind of old and put a lot of effort in this whole Peoria thing, I'm looking to retire. What's the liquidity event I can run for this thing? How do I, how do I get some cash out of this? I, you know, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to pass it on, right? Nobody, nobody says that. You guys all want Peoria to go on in the future and be good for the kids and have a, have a real sustainable future, okay? That level five leadership, I think there's, I've seen it here, um, but it's something that you guys will have to really bring to the fore in the face of all this cost pressure. The, that level five, the key to that level five leadership, courage, right? It's courage. Um, and let me put it into context here, and this is my last slide. Um, this is what San Antonio put together for what it takes to have a green economy. And what I want to push you guys to think about, and I think the staff is hungry for, um, is how do you use sustainability and leadership, um, one, to not think so much about a green economy, but to think about actual development, real development, development that works today and is an investment and grows tomorrow, and is set by this level five leadership of city and council using sustainability as a fundamental lens for marching into that, into that future. That I, that, that's where I think you guys are at. I think you're right there. I think you've got a plan that will take you into the future and march along. I think you could take that plan and push it and push yourselves and actually outstrip all those other examples. I think Curatim and Malmo you know, they, well, you know, that possibly is there. I think if you look at Salt Lake's pretty darn good. I think Salt Lake's pretty close to, to doing this. I th uh, my personal opinion, you guys are, you know, right there. And with that, I'll, I'll end and address any questions and talk about the heat island effect and asphalt and things like that, too. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Council, questions? Ms. Carla? I just wanted to, to thank you. You know, it's, it's really great to occasionally get a little bit of um, incentive for us to move forward and some reality and some, uh, somebody with some knowledge who can show us some real examples of things that have worked, things that don't work, reasons they don't work, and reasons they do work. It's really helpful for us to see those things in pragmatic terms so that we know that we're going in the right direction. Um, 
and and also thanks for all the accolades for our staff. We know that they are amazing and intelligent and um, helping us move forward in the right direction. So we appreciate you being here. Thanks. Thank you. Other comments, Mr. Leone? Just want to say thank you and thank you for doing that little dance for us. Yeah, was that good? <laughs> I like it. The sustainability dance. Other comments, Mr. Haynes? Yeah. Uh, how important is uh, mobility in these urban centers in terms of sustainability? Uh, and it, it, so it turns out it's one of the most important things. Um, as a matter of fact, it came up as one of the key differentiators on those numbers about why people like uh, smart planned communities um, and why their value goes up. Uh, you also see that in places where you have uh, good transportation, um, systems set up that those transportation centers become economic development zones just innately. Um, it's also the largest energy user that we don't have anything to grab on. So I did some work in, in Marin in California. Um, you know, full, they're, they're like so green, you know, they're, they're like photosynthetic, right? 70% um, of their energy footprint, footprint is cars. They're, what do we, you know, what do we do? And the answer is, well, nothing except better, better transportation and um, better linkage between keeping people in your community through uh, the stuff you guys are doing, economic development, uh, building out the community, and smart linkage to being able to get around in smart ways. Mr. Rivero. Dr. Brazil, can you comment on what ASU has been doing in regards to um, sustainability at a high level mm -hmm. um, and what successes uh, ASU has had? Yeah, so ASU sort of has a three-tier strategy uh, that you, exactly what you might expect out of a university. So at a fundamental level, they're looking at education. Um, I'm part of the School of Sustainability. It's the first school of sustainability in the US. Uh, we now have minors in every major, so you can get engineering plus sustainability. You can get English plus sustainability. Uh, all of our students get an introductory course to this. And so uh, where the successes on that are, we're actually turning out a group of, of young and some not so young uh, minds that have this idea of figuring out what the heck sustainability is and how do you apply it. Um, and also a bunch of professionals or people in the professional industries like engineering and business and all. Uh, the second one, of course, is research, and there's just an enormous amount going on. It has been a huge winner for the university. I mean, ASU is now in the top 20 research universities without a medical school in the U.S. 10 years ago, actually on bagel in research. Uh, and then operations. And on the operations side, uh, the wins have been around uh, really a big impact on the energy side. ASU has the most installed solar which they did with almost no capital investment because they've done these uh, private placements in partnership where all the cap, basically ASU doesn't own the equipment. You, you, um, you get a deal where you're gonna pay a certain amount of dollars for the energy, you assume the energy prices are gonna go up and uh, when you pencil it out, you see that you save money over the next 20 years, et cetera. So if you have any capital structures that you are the owner of and have to operate, it works out pretty well. It can be a little painful at first because it might appear to cost more, especially if energy prices dip in the moment. Um, have done a lot of uh, 
transportation stuff, although again, once you get off camp, you know, so changing carts, all the, all the water, all the groundskeeping, a lot of the same kind of things you guys have done. Um, struggling with, the students are all engaged, uh, but struggling with getting them beyond engagement to action uh, in areas like recycling and, and transportation. Um, pretty good taking some stuff out of the laboratory and working with industry to push it forward, so Sky Song and really sort of being the engine for entrepreneurship. Students love that. Uh, there was just an article out in ASU. I think uh, ASU sort of student faculty, you know, neighboring community, they've gotten about 200 million bucks worth of investment in the last six years or something like that. It's up on the website. Um, Changing the old systems, the big infrastructure systems, harder than you know the new stuff. So putting in like ASU has almost everything going in is like lead, silver, gold type level. The old stuff has been tougher, and I'd say and I'd say it's been a little bit tough getting the faculty all on board. They're just they're just not that smart. Miss um. Evans, I, I really enjoyed your second meaning of what sustainability is. And, and I, I want a copy of that, the one where it's not about, you know, whatever is disappearing from the earth and so forth, but how we as a, as a society can move up that sustainability chart. Um, yeah, it's something I talk to my students about a lot. So students will come in and they're all moon-eyed. They're like, you know, uh, Dr. Watson, right? Right, and um, it, that assumes that one, everybody who went before you was an idiot. That's not true. Very smart people existed before you and, and continue to exist today. It also assumes that all the things we have are bad ideas. So for example, this room. This room is a brilliant idea. I mean, we're in the Sonoran Desert. It is July 3rd, okay? It is typically out there 110 degrees with like 3% humidity. That means that water is leaving you about 32 times faster than any water is coming into you. The if there's a fountain out there, that's like a Moses-esque miracle. Right? Honestly, it's water in the, right? It's cold water in the desert with a handle, right? Can you imagine if, you know, the, the tribes found that? Like, ooh, not just a spring. Look at this. It's got a handle. Oh, it's, hey, it's chilled, right? That's what we have. So I say to the students, okay, which of those features do you want to give up for sustainability? Should the room be 110? Should it have 3% humidity? Should we have no water? And they don't want to give anything up. So this room's a brilliant idea. Unfortunately, when you add up all the rooms in the Sonoran Desert, they are unsustainable. So we're at this new juncture, and I think you're spot on. We have to flip it on its head, and it has to be about what matters to you. The good thing is that what matters to you is better done and more interesting when it's done sustainably. I don't know any mom, I don't know one mom who wants to clean their house with chemicals that are bad for their kids. Right? I don't know one mom who wants to buy a big car that will change the atmosphere in such a way that it has more pollution and is bad for their kids. Right? I know a few dads, so I, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. But anyway, so, I, so it's, a different way to, it's a different way to think about it, and I think it's much more empowering. Um, to well, most folks. Yeah. And you know, Peoria is certainly a, generally a, a very conservative right. city and we, we want to know that we're not spending money just to be sustainable. We want to know that we're getting a bang for our buck and that we're doing the things that are in the best interest 
of our budget and what we're doing. And at the same time, we do want to leave our beautiful desert for the future and we want to do those kind of things. And so the chart that you showed is the kind of thing I need to spend a few hours pondering and looking at because it really, I thought, was kind of the center of the uh, and the core of what you've said today as far as it sprung into everything else. It's my statistical, my statistical basis of making points. I'll put enough slides and one will work. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Other questions or comments? Could I, can I just add this to uh, uh, Councilman Reverend's uh, comment? And it's been a, a thread throughout the discussion, but I think it's worth uh, noting again uh, right there, Councilman Everens. And the point is that environmental uh, stewardship is good financial stewardship. Uh, and what we do you know, throughout the organization in the, under the broad heading of sustainability uh, is really the, the wise use of resources. And there's a good financial return to the city. And, and um, uh, George talked about how you know, we're, we're, we're taking short-term steps to cross the street and long-term aspirational goals. And they're both correct. And they're both um, good financial stewardship as well as a good use of resources. So um, that, that was, that's a key part of the underpinning of our program. Yeah, I mean, let me, and, and I'll, so I'll, I won't push back on you, but um, I think this has become a polarized thing, and it isn't. It is not a polarized thing. I mean, let me put, you know, Carl's, you know, comments on a pinhead. What's the business case for unsustainability? I tell you what, you make that case to me, and I'll do it. Right? There's a lifestyle choice for unsustainability, right? If I, running, driving the cars we drive today are not sustainable, right? But I do it. I'm a professor of sustainability. So I clearly don't believe that driving my car the way I drive it is going to kill my child. If I, if I did, I, I, I'd, par, I'd walk home from here and I'd wreck it so nobody else could drive it. So we have a bunch of things we do today that they are investments in unsustainability to your point, the question is, is how do we, how do we, given different perspectives, take the steps we need to take? And I think Carl's spot on that all of those steps are, they do pay off. I mean, they're just smarter. Questions? Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the gift you gave us, which is to make us think. Thank you. Next. Okay, moving um, on, we have several items in the study session agenda that uh, were carryover uh, items from a previous meeting. Uh, and the next one is um, development services user fee cost recovery policy. Uh, and Katie Gregory, our uh, interim uh, management and budget director, will lead the discussion of this issue. Um, and it's coming to you as the, um, the rest of the items on the study session agenda are uh, from uh, one of your uh, council policy subcommittees. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for giving me a few seconds to get myself uh, <laughs> acclimated here. Uh, tonight I'm going to talk to you a bit about the uh, council policy on the development services user fees cost recovery. Thank you. <clears throat> This uh, policy has been re reviewed by the General Government Subcommittee and was recommended to come before the full council. Um, as such, over the past year, 
Staff has been working to review the city's development services user fees and develop a policy for the regular review and update of the more than 200 fees that we currently have in place in the development services divisions of planning, site development, building development, and fire prevention. While we've had a great deal of work done on the actual cost of service to kind of establish where we exist, um, tonight's discussion really revolves more around uh, the policy framework for establishing a cost recovery target for those services and activities. So on the agenda tonight, I just want to speak to you a little bit about um, some general background um, related to development the development services policy and the cost of service, um, and also talk a little bit about the history of the development services fees, um, our existing policy guidance that we currently have, um, as well as current cost recovery. And then I'd like to focus the discussion really on the draft policy that was included as part of your packet um, for council to review and ask questions. Before I jump too, further, too much further in, I do want to just take a moment to recognize a lot of the individuals who have been involved, been involved in both not only the policy development but also the, the development uh, cost of service review. And that includes a number of uh, folks from the Economic Development Services Division and Planning and Communi Community Development Department, um, as well as uh, myself and Alex Monroe in the Management and Budget Department. So just in the form of background, um, very generally, with very few exceptions, um, development, our development services user fees have generally been remained the same for a number of years. We had a few fees change, a handful of them that changed in 2006, but other than that, we really haven't gone through, we've gone through the analysis of an update, but we've never actually implemented any changes to our development services fees. Since this time and, and over the course of time, We've seen some changes in the types of services that we provide. We've seen new fee categories come online. We've seen solar permits come in. We've seen a number of different changes to the way that um, development is occurring, just as uh, Dr. Vazil was talking about. We, we clearly um, are changing the way some of our development is occurring in the city. And our fees should reflect some of those changes. We've also had a number of reorganizations in the, or in, in, um, the departments, and, and we've adjusted both personnel and levels of service associated to those areas and some significant changes, as you're all aware, in the development activity in the city. One of the, the existing policy framework that we have for user fees is in our principles of financial management. The city of Peoria is empowered to recapture through fees the full cost of providing specific services. And it's in the city's policy to set user fees at cost recovery levels, except where a greater, um, at full cost recovery levels, except for a greater public benefit is demonstrated to the satisfaction of the council, or when it's not cost effective to do that. Um, one of the key policy guidelines in the here is to include the, includes the importance of a cost of service study that I just spoke to a bit, and ensure that the costs associated with delivering services have been appropriate, appropriately identified and that the city is fully recovering those costs. And also the policy calls for regular review and adjustments of, of um, development services fees, and, or any fees, any user fees in the city as necessary. Currently, the general fund is subsidizing um, about 45% of the service delivery costs associated with planning, site development, and building development. And it's important to note that when you look at this, this is not the total cost of the department or the division. This is just the service delivery cost, meaning these are just the, the, the cost for those fee-based activities that are taking, that those areas take part in. And additionally, we don't have um, a set cost recovery target for those fee-based activities. 
So therefore, staff is recommending the development of a council policy that provides the appropriate guidance for staff to move forward with evaluating these fees. So with that, I'd like to take a moment to just go through the council policy with you, or the, excuse me, the draft council policy with you. So some of the things that are addressed in the policy, the first item um, is the procedure for adjusting the fees. It's important that we understand and establish what that procedure would be. And consistent with some of our other um, fee policies, and more, more uh, specifically the recreation services um, user fee policy that was brought forward to council not too long ago, um, very similar type of um, process and procedure for adjusting fees. First would be that the fees would be reviewed and adjusted annually. The recommendations would be brought to council during the annual budget process to be adopted as part of that process. And then we'd provide an annual updated fee schedule and we'd review the policy, the actual council policy, every three to five years. Excuse me, gotta go back here. Um, another major component of the policy is the cost recovery targets. Um, in general, um, fees, uh, for services provided by the, the Development Services Division should recover uh, the full cost of providing that service. Um, but there would be other considerations for why you might want to do a partial cost recovery or some other type of cost recovery, and those are identified also in the policy. A partial cost recovery would be when you have certain fees that you maybe don't want or need or there's, a, there's um, an interest to not collect 100% of the cost of those services, and that may be in instances like residential water heaters, where we want to encourage um, our residents to come in and at least get a permit so they can get the appropriate inspections when they change out a water heater in their home. That would be a case where we probably would want to help ensure compliance by maybe not charging a full fee. Um, another area might be in um, pre-application meetings. As you're aware, a lot of times we offer to our development community as they come in or are interested in coming into the city an opportunity to sit down with the appropriate staff members and get a little bit more information about their project, what, the, what types of things they're going to have to look for or be aware of as far as their project is concerned, what staff's concerns would be, and kind of talk through that before they fully engage in the development process with the city and start paying for reviews and things like that. So that might be another instance where you wouldn't want to charge 100% or, or recover 100% of the cost. In other cases, you may have other cost recovery targets where there's a greater risk to the city that's been identified, or maybe they're requesting a higher level of service than we would normally provide. Some examples of that might be at-risk grading permits, where a developer wants to come in and begin work prior to plans being fully approved, wants to come in and, and get started on certain portions of the work. Puts a greater risk on the city but it also, but we would recover a, a greater than 100% cost on those types of activities. Um, and another one might be if they want expedited plan review, if they want to have their plans reviewed at a higher level of service, getting turnarounds in a much quicker time, we might um, have fees that would be higher than the 100% cost recovery. So the, the policy allows for those types of um, options. The third item on there is the pricing considerations. And within the policy, there are a number of items that have been identified that council and staff and, and, you know, might want to consider as part of um, looking at an overall fee discussion when we're looking at updating um, development services user fees. Um, and those can include things like um, maybe wanting to look at residential permits, um, uh, maybe having reduced fees in those areas, 
um, looking at um, various um, limitations, like there's a lot of statutory requirement about how we can charge fees. There's new requirements that are coming online um, about some of our levels of services related to how quickly we have to turn around um, reviews and things like that. So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of considerations we might want to take into account, and I've outlined a number of them, or we've outlined a number of them within the draft policy, and certainly there may be some other ones that council would like to consider as well. And lastly, um, the policy does have a section on public review and access. Um, clearly, we understand that fees are very important, um, particularly to those in our development community who, who are um, the customers to the city for the most part. And um, not only are we required to kind of post those and give them notice that fees are being reviewed and looked at, but it also, from a, from a staff perspective and from council's interest, would be regular stakeholder engagement with those, with those in the community who have an interest and, and want to learn more and want to understand. Um, the policy does say that prior to any formal action of the city council, we would make sure that the fees um, the estimated cost for providing, providing the service and the estimated amount of revenue adjustments would be all um, provided to, the, to the, anyone who was interested in looking at that um, for comment, and we, of course, would have our normal stakeholder engagements. Um, and lastly, that we would post an updated schedule of all fees on the city's Internet site by July 1st of each year, again, co coinciding with Council's normal budget process and bringing forward any fee adjustments at that time. So some of the things that we're, again, we're talking about the policy in general this evening. Um, if some of the next steps we would have is that if council so desires, we would bring forward the cost recovery, just the policy, not the fees, I want to make that clear, just the policy, um, to a future council meeting. Then we would go back and go through and update our cost to service study. So go back with that as kind of our framework, um, be able to go back and update our cost to service study, engage our stakeholders to review some of the results of that, come back to council at a later date with our fee recommendations, likely as part of the budget process in the fiscal year 14 budget process, and then adopt the, the development services user fees, um, any updates or amendments or changes to those as part, part of the budget process next year. So tonight, really, um, we're just requesting that council reviews uh, the draft development services user fee cost recovery policy and provides any guidance to staff for bringing forward a final policy for adoption at a future council meeting. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Okay, thank you. Questions? Mr. Ames? Yeah, um, we, we have that policy spelled out here that uh, maybe we could, uh, you could say it, so, because you're asking us to actually Go with a policy that's here, or is it because there's a lot of talk about different different things, different levels, and sure, I think that I, I would leave that up to council. If council feels that they would want to have some discussion about that, obviously study sessions are where we'd like to have that kind of input and and back and forth with council on that. Um, the draft policy was in your your um, packet, so if you had anything within the draft policy that you had any questions or concerns or wanted to discuss or have some further conversation about. Well, the key word is it's a draft. It is a draft. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, that, that helps me understand it better. And I guess that word was there. Uh, I know uh, Community Services has, uh, in Parks and Rec, has uh, established policy for fees, and we look at that uh, quite often, yeah. maybe not every year, but every other year. Are you looking at something like that? 
for yeah. developmental services fees? Yes, thank you. We, what we would propose, obviously, is um, because we don't have a policy necessarily giving us that specific guidance on cost recovery, we've always gone through and reviewed fees on a pretty regular basis. Usually every two years or three years, we've gone and looked at fees in various areas in the city. Um, sometimes it's warranted coming forward with recommendations for adjustments as, as um, community services has done, um, you know, but sometimes it, it, it hasn't warranted that. Um, Without the context of the policy, however, um, going into this next one, we think it's important. We clearly can see through, through our initial cost of service sort of analysis that there is a, a significant subsidy that's occurring within those areas. Um, now, that may be okay, or we need to look at what, the, what that subsidy really should be. So we'd like to have a policy so as we move forward, there's a more clear understanding about generally what we're trying to accomplish as far as um, full cost recovery, partial cost recovery, or other cost recovery um, in those fees. There's over 200 fees in those areas. And, you know, when developers come in, you know, it's, it's a pretty complex web to kind of work through. And we want to make sure that what they are, the service that they're pro we're providing, they're paying for the cost of that service and that we're ensuring that that's occurring. So that's really what the policy is intended to do. Okay, and that would be a full study session probably, right? Because we'd want to look at the various components of your draft and certainly we're, we're not doing that tonight, I don't think, are we? You, you could delve into pieces of it if you'd like okay. this evening or if you feel comfortable with it, you could give direction to move forward. If you want more time to study it and want me to bring it back at a future study session, we certainly can do that as well. It's, it's really up to council's pleasure. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Katie, a while back you mentioned stakeholders will have an opportunity to look at the actual rates that come forward. Have, have stakeholders had an opportunity to look at this draft policy? What we have done with our stakeholders is that we did an initial, um, um, we sort of did an initial draft or a, a cost of service. We met with the stakeholders group. We weren't necessarily talking with them at fees at that time, but we let them know that we would be coming forward with some recommendations on fees in the next year and that that was going to be part of our sort of plan coming forward. What we recognized too was that we needed to come to this group and ensure that there was um, some agreement as to how we go forward with developing that because we don't want to bring fees forward that don't relate to some broader policy um, targets that have been set by this council. So we haven't gone through the council policy with the stakeholder group but we certainly could. We did bring it to subcommittee. There were a number of folks at the subcommittee who had an opportunity to see the, the draft policy, um, you know, but, but we haven't specifically gone out to the community on the policy. Yeah, Councilmember Pearson, we thought it was important that this conversation occur first right. before we took the draft to the, to the public. Absolutely, and I appreciate that staff believes we're the number one stakeholder in this, in this discussion. Uh, but I would, before it comes back for a vote, I would sure like to be able to ask this question. What, what were the stakeholders' comments? Who were the stakeholders who looked at this draft policy? What were their comments? Did we take them in consideration? So I think it's really important that uh, not just the fees, but the policies, because this is, this is important, what we're doing is talking about policy that all the stakeholders have. We've gone overboard and asking for their input. I think that's just as you're asking for our input. Sure. So I'd appreciate that for, uh, before it comes back for a vote. I like the idea of a policy on this. I think it's great. We have a policy on, on rates for recreation, as you mentioned. 
I, I did notice that it, it, if I read this correctly, we are pretty much uh, our cost recovery percentage is about 55 percent. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Right. And and then we made a conscious decision with community services as I jumped back and forth that uh, I'm trying to remember 70, 75 percent right. cost recovery. Where in do you expect in this policy to come back to, to council and say, we would recommend X uh, percentage cost recovery, just like you did with community services? Right, I think, I think there's a little bit of a nuance of a difference that we probably should, should clarify. In the, in the um, community services cost recovery policy, they identified specific types of programs and the cost recovery associated with those programs. And they ranged anywhere from 20% all the way up to 100% cost recovery. When you talk generally, when you look across um, sort of the, 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 the landscape of, of um, municipalities, generally there is, there is that um, the, the benefit that's being received for the service that's being provided tends to be in that higher range of that 80 to 100% cost recovery range. So when, if, I don't know if you recall from the community services, they had that pyramid. Yeah, and I recall also that in general, on average, we, right. we subsidize about a third of the cost of, right. of community services right. across the board. Right. So uh, generally. So here we, we subsidize 55%. Uh, I'm just, for, a, for purposes of understanding the broad picture, I think it would be important for staff to come back and say, you know, we're, we're really recommending, perhaps in different areas, different cost recovery. Absolutely. But also to have a broad picture of, uh, if you average it all out, that means we're we're uh, we're going to expect 55, sure. 56, 75 percent cost recovery. I think that's important for the public as well as as the council to get a big picture of, of, of what we're doing. We absolutely. Can do. So I, I would certainly appreciate that kind of of level of data. Can I just respond a little bit to that? Uh, so what you're suggesting would be sort of categories, right? Cat categorically looking at the different fees. Because I think as um, the example that Katie gave earlier about um, water heaters um, and how there's a, a benefit to um, the in uh, individual, the user, the homeowner installing a water heater to get the permit. And if you think about what's embedded in that conversation, you're really talking about the difference between a private benefit, that is getting the, the, the water heater installed for that person, and the public benefit that comes from uh, us knowing that um, and encouraging the public to make sure that the water heater is properly installed for, for safety. Um, and so, and some of our, some of our permits uh, have different levels of public versus private benefit, so to speak, and I think developing categories might be a way to organize that. Just, um, just as we did, and I'm going to go back to community services, just as we did there, we had categories and we had public service, and what, what, what we as a council felt was a, a policy issue that we ought to subsidize. I, I'd like us as a council to have those options as well and get that kind of uh, specificity, if you will, so you have categories. But I think it's also important, just as, as we did in community services, to say, after you give all of these, make these different categories, here's the bottom line. We, in community services, we expect to recover about one th uh, or two-thirds of, of the full cost. Taxpayers are going to subsidize one-third. I think we need to have that kind of, of clarity and transparency as well. So 
right. yes, I, I like where we're heading. I like using community services as kind of the, the model for this. Uh, I, I like the idea that you can, can have different levels uh, of, of, of uh, support uh, in this, but we also need to have the big picture. As we get into how we make a decision about how, uh, what, what levels of support uh, we, as, we give as, as, as a city, and, and you've got listed uh, not-for-profits and those kinds of things. One thing that I didn't see clearly, and it might be on E6, if you look at E6 in the policy, uh, about price consideration, I, I think one of the considerations we need to consider is are we competitive with, mm -hmm. with surrounding cities? Absolutely. Uh, and and I'd, I'd like to see it more clearly stated. It might be in E6, I'm not sure but something along the lines that we stay price competitive with valid communities to encourage economic development. I think even though you can't precisely say that that's a normal public benefit, it is a broader public benefit for us to stay competitive to encourage economic development. So I think you have to have that as part of your policy, uh, I believe. So um, uh, thank you for, for all of this and, and listening to my comments. Uh, I noticed you mentioned fast track services. That this policy does provide for that. I think that's something that we need to continue to do as well for a fee. <laughs> thank you, Mayor. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Carlett. Thank you. Um, I appreciate what you've done with this with this policy, with this draft policy. I think that you're on the right track. I, I like the cost recovery target analysis of it, I just like we did with community services. I think that it is a, it is an, a good way for us to say these things are of value to our citizens, these things are of value to us, these things are, are, are different. And taking the um, full and partial and then based on level of service, I think those are really good criteria to use. So if you, if you use those, then we're creating a broad policy. If you take each individual item and put it in here, it's no longer just a broad policy. It is then, it is then all of the um, incremental uh, facts that go along with a policy. And that's not, you know, that's not creating a policy. That's creating all of the facts that, that are part of a policy. It's creating a price list. And I think this is the policy. Uh, that governs how the price list is made. Right. And I think that that is, you're on the tra right track. I think this is very good. Uh, the only other um, item that I had in this was the, the stakeholder part of it. Uh, economic development occasionally brings stakeholders into a room, just a great big room with lots of people who own land, people who are currently developing, people who are homeowners, people who are commercial developers, all different groups of people, and talk to them about various subjects that are happening in the city, uh, proposals, things that we're looking at, things that we're, um, we've done in the past, things that we're considering changing. So that, that kind of stakeholder input, I think it would be really, really valuable for this, for this policy. And then as you, what, the only thing you really address in here is as there are price changes, you would get stakeholders involved and you kind of um, said that we would, you know, send something out to them and see if they wanted to reply. And I, I know that we do that in a lot of cases when there's like the general plan, we send it out to, you know, a lot of different entities and some of them reply and some of them don't and some of them probably wish they had and it's too late. 
So I, I don't really like that method as much as actually getting people who, are, who care and want to be engaged, getting them all into a room and saying, you know, we want you guys to, to look at this at this time. And that would be the time when we would be comparing, you know, have the graph and say, this is how this price compares to other Valley cities. Right. And this is how this service compares um, in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there, there's different times for details, but this broad policy. But I would like to add that other stakeholder component into our policy. That's the my development opinion. forum. You're speaking about the development forum development. and include a, include it as part of a development forum right. item. Yeah, yeah, much Absolutely. more detailed and specific for the stakeholder. Right, and and just for clarification, it is sort of a chicken and or chicken or the egg sort of conversation a little bit. You know, we'd like to have a policy to go forward. We've already done a general cost of service, and we could tell you exactly what you're looking for generally, kind of what the recommended fee would be and what percentage of the total cost recovery that is for each individual fee. Um, but we got to sort of come back and, and have a, a policy framework and ensure that we're moving in that direction. And then we can come back with those individual fees, engage those stakeholders on looking at those individual fees, get some of that feedback, come back to you. I, it is an iterative process, and I recognize that. We're sort of just sort of kicking it off with the larger mm -hmm. full council this time, and we certainly can, can continue to engage them. And we do plan to, again, as part of our Going forward, I'll be talking about impact fees in a minute, but as we go forward, you know, similar, same group, they're very interested in both topics, so we can engage them on, on the same platform. Okay. Ms. Evans, then Mr. Ames, and keep in mind we've got about 12 minutes before the regular session starts. Okay, I, I am delighted with what you've come up with after talking about it in the general uh, government and this plan and the, the tiered approach. Um, a number of years ago, the approach was kind of, well, what are they doing in X city and Y city and Z city? And, and now we're really doing a study of, of what our real costs are and what it costs us. Although, you know, that type of thing needs to be taken into account on certain issues because of certain outcomes that we're wanting. But, but to have the general uh, policy in place, I'm delighted with the direction you're going. And, feel really comfortable with um, this cover that you'll be putting over the top of those other decisions that we'll be making. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Ames. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a good draft, and it is a draft, and we'll get input from stakeholders, so we'll be able to review it again. And one question I have is the full cost recovery, is that kind of the, the, the first thing we look at, and then we look at if there are exceptions, partial cost recovery, because we're going to get certain, because we're looking for certain out, outcomes. Yeah, generally, when we do a cost to service analysis, we would we, uh, you know, assuming that that's the general practice, and that is the case typically in development services areas that you look at the full cost recovery first. You would always look at what the full cost recovery is, and then make decisions about um, partial costs or other cost recovery based upon some of those policy items that, that council would be interested in um, for the individual fee areas. Yeah, and I know you mentioned the water heaters. Uh, my experience has been the plumbers encourage homeowners not to get a permit. I think. <laughs> uh, and so you didn't really address it that way. <laughs> yeah. So there may, may be more involved of uh, why we're not getting the outcome of uh, having inspection for the water heater and the, the safety value of that for the homeowners themselves. So Absolutely. we may want to have something in here we need to look beyond how we get the outcome we want. It may not just be the co that cost 
and reducing the cost is going to get us there. Okay. Let me see if I can sort of wrap this up a little bit. What you are asking uh, of council tonight is that we go ahead and either approve the, uh, the, the uh, recovery policy, cost recovery policy, and then you bring it back for a formal adoption. The other, and that begins the rest of the process. Then you'd be into study the fees and everything else. The other possibility would be to bring this back for another study session. Now, what's the will of the council? Uh, Anybody? They, whether it comes to a study session or, or, or a regular session, to me, the important thing is that, that our comments be incorporated in whatever final draft comes and that the stakeholders that we mentioned have had an opportunity to make their views uh, known and that we've incorporated that into it. So perhaps a, a, a study session is appropriate uh, if, if, in fact, there are major changes. So. Yeah, I yeah I think it should come back as a as a full study session. Uh, the thing I just brought up: Are we really achieving our goal by reducing the cost for the water heaters when there are really other situations? And uh, and then I, I would like to look at a, a number of these points in in more detail. But I would like to hear what stakeholders uh, have to have to say. As the, I think that that's critical, and we can do that first before it comes back to us. In a, I think it should come in a study session. I have a question. Can you begin developing the fees and meeting with stakeholders and then come back for a study session? Or do we have to ad adopt in regular session a policy that then sets you forward? Or maybe that's a question for... We, we, did you want to add? Go ahead. No, that's fine. We can certainly get the draft policy out to the stakeholders and ask them to comment on that. That's not a problem at all. We certainly can do that. We, if, if we find that there's significant comments or concerns or issues and it's going to, you know, adjust or it's potentially going to adjust, we would want to bring that back to council for more review and discussion because ultimately, um, but if, if it's very minimal, we certainly could bring it back as part of a final, you know, regular session item and have, we don't have to start the cost of service analysis until after it's done or we, Quite honestly, we've done a cost of service analysis. That's been completed. It's a question of just updating that and going back and doing all of the stakeholder engagement and really finalizing a fee recommendation to bring forward to council. Okay. Mayor Barrett, maybe the thing for us to do would be, as, as Katie's uh, suggesting, go out and have some of the stakeholder discussions and then we can report back to the council under the city manager's report just by a memo or a very brief presentation, here's what we're hearing and make a recommendation as to whether we need to come back to study session or whether we can move to an action agenda. Are, are the comments you heard from, from the council tonight, does that substantially change any portion of the proposed policy? I think I heard two primary things. One was to look at the pricing considerations and incorporate some of the more um, um, price market competitiveness um, element as well as um, adding in something that's more specific about going to a development forum and reviewing the fees with the development forum as part of policy versus a normal part of our practice but as part of the policy. Those were the two main ones that I heard this evening. Is, is, is there some sort of uh, time element in getting the, uh, the cost uh, review back to us to uh, really to, to change fees? Uh, 
I, I don't have a problem with us bringing that ahead of the policy because the policy is long term and we really need to get it right. Uh, and, and I don't want that policy discussion to hold up the practical uh, reevaluation of fees. Is that the real issue here? That I, I think so. This, this is this is a cart and horse kind of. It thing. is. It's, I'm, and I apologize. And, uh, <laughs> Sometimes I you need the piece to know. I'm going to ask Mr. Kemp to come down here. What I'm asking is this: Do you need the council to give you a yes on the policy in order to begin the reviews that we're talking about? No, and that's not a legal question. No, then, um, we don't. Yeah. Okay. No. Then, then then go ahead and do that. Now, is that where we're at as a council? That's that's yeah. my point too. Okay. You got your direction. Thank you very much. I am now going to recess the study session. We have council starting in six minutes. And we will resume the study session after the council meeting.